Voyage. And on my first night in Vietnam, I saw an American soldier killed by another American soldier. I grew up mostly in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but I was born in Puerto Rico, and my family migrated to Philadelphia when I was about eight years old. From then on, I've lived in Philly most of my life. My parents felt that the Vietnam War was totally unnecessary. The Vietnamese were not going to attack us here in the U.S. My parents also realized that my brother and I would likely be called to serve, even if we had stayed on the island. Since one of the reasons Puerto Ricans were granted citizenship in 1917 was because the U.S. would need more soldiers if it entered World War One. As it turned out, almost 300,000 islanders were added to the selective service list of potential draftees. We ended up migrating from our tropical island, even though we had our own home, a car. My mother did not need to work, and my backyard was a beach. My front yard was a lush, forested hill where my brother and I played. My parents chose to migrate because of the stories they heard of opportunity of the streets paved in gold myth. At first, the move was disappointing. We did not know the language. There was no beach. The weather was cold, and worst of all, the people were even colder. Sometimes downright nasty. But we persevered. My brother and I absorbed the language quickly. We were both voracious readers in Spanish, and the English alphabet is the same, so reading it was no problem. Pronouncing and translating it was. But we learned tricks such as any word ending t i o n, such as information, termination, obligation. All you need to do is change the T to a C, and it means the same thing as the Spanish word. Almost always, anyway. We had an instant vocabulary of thousands of words. We became straight A students in a few months, all thanks to our mother, who taught us to read when we were barely toddlers. In time, things got better. The flood of migration was on. It was easy for us from the island, since we were already citizens. We could come and go as we pleased. Pretty much the same as the text of moving to New York. We slowly became Americanized while keeping our own culture alive. The 50s rock and roll became our favorite, but made time for our earlier natural attachment to Latino music. I wound up in the army while I was waiting for college acceptance letters, but I was drafted before I received any offers. I was drafted pretty much fresh out of high school. I was sent overseas on numerous flights: Philadelphia to California, then to Hawaii, and then to Vietnam. When I first arrived in Vietnam, we boarded transport trucks for the army, while the battle was still going on just a few miles away. From the airport in Benoit, we went to the 519th MI Battalion headquarters, about 25 miles from Saigon. The compound I was stationed in was centered by a huge home with many rooms that were converted into battalion headquarters. I believe it may have been some dignitary's palatial home, sometime in the past. One side was bordered by a river, 
On the opposite side was a well-worn two-lane highway that made its way through a few villages and ended up in Saigon, about 25 miles away, which is the route we, we took almost every day on our convoy to work at the intelligence center in Tansunut Air Base, which was right outside Saigon. Locals set up small businesses on both sides of the highway within 100 or 200 yards of the compound with the sole purpose of servicing the GIs with booze. The local beer was called Bamiba. They didn't have American beer there. They also had girls, drugs, and whatever else the soldiers craved. Across the highway was nothing but jungle. It was the same on the other side of the river, which provided a base of operations and source of cover for the resident sniper. Aside from the large HQ building, there were numerous Quonset huts, tents, a motor pool, a large mess hall, the NCO club, and a large trailer set up as an infirmary. There were walls on all sides except the side bordered by the river, which is fortified with concertina wire. There were guards at the gate 24 hours a day, and the machine gun towers were manned at all times. Just days earlier, I had been transferred from my company of analysts to the company of agents. I don't know why, I never did find out, but I traveled with pretty much people I didn't know. To be an agent, you have to be a college graduate, and you have to be regular army, you have to enlist. I was a U.S. or a draftee. These people did not associate with me very much. On arrival in Vietnam at the compound, I was actually in civilian status, so I didn't, I didn't own uniforms. First uniform people I saw was a uh, infantry detachment that was assigned to the compound to uh, conduct patrols and man the machine gun towers. And uh, the first person I saw happened to have a Latino name, so I introduced myself and he welcomed me to the battalion. He asked me to meet him at the uh, NCO club that night where the other Hispanics, most of them Puerto Rican, I would get to know them. They would tell me what to expect in Vietnam, what, what to do, what not to do, where to go, where not to go, the rules to follow, and, and basically to give me an introduction to my new assignment. The first Latino GI I met that day, arriving in 519th at my battalion, invited me to the NCO club, where I met the other GIs. Basically, we spent the night talking, listening to music. They drank. And I listened, uh, trying to learn as much as I could, and not knowing what was about to happen. On that first evening at the NCO club, I met the other 10 Latino GIs that, that were attached from the infantry who were assigned to uh, protect the battalion. There I, m I met Sergeant Miranda, and uh, he was the leader of the group. And we spent hours uh, talking about our homeland and where we were from, and how we got in the army and all, everything, everything that young GIs would talk about. Uh, we were there for several hours. Everybody was drinking, I don't drink. Most of them got pretty drunk, especially Sergeant M Miranda. The NCO club was just a rectangular building with a tin roof and about 3,000 square feet. The walls were half plywood and the top half was a screen. On the ceiling were several fans stirring the heat around. Of course, there was a bar with not a great variety of drinks, though. Mostly beer. Most of the guys drank beer anyway. There was a jukebox, which I believe played free music. There was never any live entertainment. There were some Vietnamese employees who were supposed to have been checked out by the intelligence agents, but we were sure that one or two among them were 
pies. No food was served, but snacks were available. It was mainly a place to sit and talk, get drunk, and forget there was a war going on. People always ask why I don't drink. The reason I don't drink is that I actually got drunk twice in my life. The first time, under peer pressure, I got drunk at the age of 16, and I swore that I would never do it again because I got so sick. My promise lasted about two years, but I did it again at 18. That time I got even sicker and swore again that I would never do it again. That time I meant it, and I, I have never been drunk since, and it's been 58 years. Now, I will have an occasional beer, but only one, and I will have a glass of wine on special occasions, but will absolutely never drink to the point of losing control. The same reason why I don't experiment with drugs either. My first impression of Sergeant Miranda was overall positive. He appeared to be a good leader. He was only a couple years older than I was. I especially liked his handlebar mustache, which was the style then, and I thought that maybe I would try to grow one like he had. As best as I can remember, it went something like this. Since most of the Latinos were from Puerto Rico, we talked about what town we were from, where we live now, and what we planned to do when we got back to the world. So you're a spook? <laughs> well, not really. I'm attached to the company of agents, but I'm really an analyst. I have no idea why they put me here. I'll find out in a few days when I get a permanent assignment. You'll probably end up working at Tan Sun New Air Base. That's where the intelligence center is. It's where we grunts get to escort you guys to every morning and back every afternoon. So you're our bodyguards? More like babysitters. We guard the perimeter and keep an eye out on the surroundings. Go out on area patrols. But you guys have occasional guard duty and get to keep your weapons in case we get attacked. You're welcome to join us when we go out. I, you mean go out looking for trouble? No, thanks. If it comes to me, I'll deal with it, but I won't welcome it. All they gave me was a five-shot snub-nosed detective special. I'm qualified with the M60. I see they got some machine gun towers around the base. Yep, one of them is my assigned spot if we get hit. Hey, maybe you can back me up in an emergency. They took my uniform, but I'm still a soldier. Okay, Mr. Reyes, or shall I say senor, or... Patron. <laughs> <laughs> I miss fine. I'm just a rankless plain civilian for now. I was told to answer only to Mr. and not salute any officers. That's kind of dumb. Everybody knows you're an intelligence. You wouldn't be at battalion headquarters otherwise. <laughs> True that. Army intelligence is an oxymoron. Better than being a grunt though, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey. Yeah, this company, this 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 other company, they were short one man, and they were supposed to ship out. So they just decided to transfer me in without bothering to tell me. In the barracks at 3 in the morning, a squad of MPs storm in, yelling my name, waking up everyone. They grab me and my feet never hit the ground until I'm dropped in front of the colonel. He goes, Where are you been? We've been looking for you for a month. They thought I went AWOL. I go... Sir, I've been across the street. He said, we leave for Nam in six days. That was it. <laughs> if I didn't love my liquor so much, I'd be a five-star general by now. 
think just because he's got that sweet mustache, everyone should salute him. All right, all right. So here's the deal around here. There are plenty of bars and girls nearby. The locals set up shop near every permanent base because they need our business. They're fairly safe, but never go out alone and never unarmed. Plenty of places within 100 yards from the main gate. The gate guards will not let you out at night, and they expect you inside the gate before dark. Oh, you'll probably get a sermon about using protection. <laughs> Should I expect any action? I see the barbed wire along the river, and most of the machine guns face that direction. Eh, the river's not very wide or deep, and the other side is nothing but jungle, so that's the most ideal place to attack from. The barbed wire is easy to cut, and there are no mines because the buildings are too close to the river's edge. Our main defense are the M60s and a few mortar placements. Our babysitting unit is about 50, a quarter of a company, but should be enough to hold on for a while. The airbase is only about 25 miles away, so the choppers and jets can be here fairly quickly. Although you guys are not combat infantry, you all have access to weapons. You're expected to help in a pinch. Your little revolver has a big brother in the form of an M14, which you'll have while you're in the compound, once you get sent out with the agents. Not too many agents stay here for long. Always be prepared. Even inside the compound, carry your weapon. There's a sniper that keeps us on our toes. He's a bad shot. Has yet to hit anyone, but he sure knows how to hide. We go out after every shooting incident, but can't find him. <laughs> Between us, we don't really want to find him. Uh, why not? Because if we find him, the VC might replace him with someone who can really shoot. <laughs> now, if you go to Saigon, and you will, Tudo Street is the cleanest place. Oh, and they have the best girls. The only drawback is that you're in a timer. Maybe best to meet someone to have a relationship with. One of your fellow analysts has a girlfriend. He's short. Plans to come back as a civilian and marry the girl. Uh, well, I'm not planning on that. Just want to do my year and go back home. My father has a little house on the beach in PR that I expect to enjoy for a while. My old man built it in 1941, and we go down every year for vacation. How many of you from the island? Solamente yo. I'm from the Bronx. Been there since I was three and only been back to the island once. Maybe after this tour I'll go back. A few others are also from New York. That's the biggest source of Latino draftees. Only the sergeant is an RA. The rest of us are U.S. Yeah. The VC don't care if you joined or were dragged in kicking and screaming. We're all targets. Oh hell, they're trying to kick us out. Lieutenant, come on, man. I'm just getting started. I got a hollow leg, man. I keep drinking. I just get thirsty. A few minutes after getting to my cot, I heard a gunshot very nearby. I grabbed my revolver, which was my assigned weapon at the time, and I ran to the door, opened the door of the Quonset hut, and saw a soldier on the ground. I then saw Sergeant Miranda running towards the fallen soldier and saw him empty his M14 into the prone soldier. 
I later found out that it was another sergeant, an E7. The gate guard then shot Miranda in the hand and the leg, and he went down. I was totally amazed at what I had just seen and shocked. We were killing each other, and it was not the enemy. After the shooting, I learned the sequence of events. Miranda was drunk, but wanted to drink some more. The NCO club was closed, but he wanted to leave the compound and to visit the local Vietnamese bars, which happened to crop up at every base. No one was allowed out, but since he was a sergeant, the guard called the sergeant of the guard, which is a high-ranking sergeant, and when uh, the E7 sergeant came and told Miranda that he couldn't, he could not leave the compound, that there was plenty of time tomorrow to drink again, Miranda went to his tent, got his M14, and fired one shot from a distance. That's the shot that I heard, but didn't see. The other guys whom I had just met had known Miranda for a much longer time. They were as shocked as I was, but perhaps a little more, a little more deeply grieved since they had known him for so long. For me personally, I was in shock for days. As one of the two direct witnesses, I spent many hours retelling the story. It's an event that I think about almost daily, a classic case of PTSD, I would say. It has gradually become a little easier to deal with but I will never be able to erase it from my mind. What happened that night is known as fragging, but that is not exactly accurate. Fragging is a term coined in Vietnam. It is called fragging because the usual weapon used was a fragmentation grenade, which is easy to throw near the intended target, which usually was a sergeant, lieutenant, or other officer, or actually anyone who may have offended the fragger. This usually happens in the heat of battle where the confusion and action is a good cover for the offense. In Nam, there are reportedly 900 to 1,000 suspected cases, but not all were solved. In the case of Sergeant Miranda, his was just a booze-induced murder. He made no effort to disguise his act as accidental. He shot the victim 20 times. The news reports carry versions of the event. Some called it, he was killed by friendly fire. Technically correct, but uh, not really. Another story said that he was killed by a, an escaping prisoner. I was there, we kept no prisoners at that battalion headquarters. There were several stories and none of them were true. The only uh, true story was that he was killed by another sergeant in cold blood. Of the men who were in the, in the NCO club that night, only two of us made it home in one piece when our tour was over. Sergeant Miranda, of course, got life in federal prison. Two others on a misadventure took one of the guys to the airport for his R&R flight. On the way back, they went off the main highway to go joyriding with a jeep in the woods. They got ambushed. We found them days later in conditions that I would rather not repeat. Another young man from New York had a drug problem that we all knew about but never said anything. But with only two days left in country, he decided to celebrate by sampling a variety of drugs. He took so much that he went, well, he went nuts and was taken out in a straitjacket. We never did find out what happened after.
the others were transferred to their original units and became casualties of war. It was as if our little clique had targets pinned on our backs. I spent a month at the military hospital in Saigon, but not due to combat wounds. The stay in the hospital was, was horrific, but not due to my problem, but mostly due to the injuries of other patients. Several screamed for hours when waking up to find they had no legs, no arms, or were blinded, or severely burned. I was surrounded by young men who would never be the same, many of which would rather have died. An aside to this is that it's not directly part of my story, but it is the story of the approximately 2,700,000 men and women who served in Vietnam. Most everybody knows that 58,220 paid the ultimate price, but over 150,000 were wounded. Of course, there's also the MIAs and POWs. But not counted among the, among the wounded or missing were those who suffered a silent wound that would not become evident until years later. There are almost 50 diseases connected to exposure to Agent Orange and nearly 20 birth defects recognized in the children of Vietnam veterans. Those casualties occur daily. I bring it up because just a few days ago, a lifelong friend just died after massive organ failure caused by Agent Orange. I personally know quite a few who have become casualties of war years later or who expect the same fate surely. Unfortunately, the same future waits for me. I have several of the listed diseases, any of which, or a combination of, will terminate me sooner than later. My parents lived into their 90s, which means that I have good genes, but those genes are no match for the toxic effects of that poison. I will not make it into my 80s and even less into my 90s. I think this event shows or proves that war truly is hell. And I always thought that the old people that start the damn wars should be the first to go to deal with it. After my time in the military, I tried owning my own business and worked at it for quite a few years, and then later became a deputy sheriff. But after getting my degree in communication and journalism, I transitioned into writing, writing articles and, and then published my first novel. It's called In the Beginning. It's a historical fiction novel about the first encounter between Neanderthals and early modern humans. It is currently available on Amazon and a link is provided in the show notes.